Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, we're here Sunday evening, one of our post-final records, uh, and it was a cracking final. Cracking tournament, actually, I think, overall. Uh, we're talking about the Tour Championship, obviously. Sean Murphy beating Kyle Wilson 10-7 this evening. Very much so, Phil. You know, a marvellous return to form for Sean Murphy, generally this season, and then sort of stepped up a gear again since the turn of the year. So in this calendar year, 2023 so far, you know, he's been exceptional. You know, his standards have been have been first class and he's, you know, not, I say not capped it. He might have something even bigger to, to come. He'll be hoping so. But he certainly uh, re-emphasised that in style with this very prestigious victory. As you say, Murphy beating Kyra Wilson 10-7, in the final, just talking about the f- final off the air, it was a funny old one, wasn't it? Kyron off to an absolute flyer, falling it up, as he was in every match he played during the tournament. And then Sean coming back 4-4, that's massive. You know, that's yeah. had he got back to 5-3, he'd have been pleased, but 4-4, and getting that last one of that first session was so big. And then tonight, well, sort of to and fro, wasn't it? I mean, I, I virtually had a tweet a tweet written to say Kyron had gone 7-5 up. That, that was kind of the thinking. Big turning point, not closing that frame out, Phil, back to 6-6. And from there, I wouldn't say only one winner because it was still so close and, you know, it wasn't that many frames for Kyron to come back and, and, and get it. But Murphy just sort of squinted for the line, didn't he? And you have to say in the end, you know, it was more to do with his... Qualities, not any real deficiencies from Kyron, although he will be thinking a lot about that frame that what that should have gone uh, seven five. However, in the end, I think you have to just say hats off again to Murphy. He's having the most marvelous time of it, Phil. He really is, yeah. Um, yeah, I think Kyron did. I think Stephen Hendry put it uh, on the ITV punditry that Murphy got stronger and Kyron did get a bit weaker. I think that's fair enough, but um, yeah, Murphy was excellent. Um, I think it was the penultimate frame. He made he made a ninety yard ninety five, 
and that was after sort of losing losing the one before, and it, it looked like it could have rattled him a bit, and he just got down and knocked in uh, one visit to win uh, to go one from victory. So that was really excellent. Um, and yeah, it just the whole like you're right to say that this is the turn of the year, I suppose. Uh, the quarterfinals at the UK, but then since then, semis at the at the Grand Prix. I mean, it's the ITV series, isn't it? He's absolutely mastered it. Semis at the Grand Prix, then won the players and won this, and a final at the Welsh. It's unreal, really. And uh, yeah, now tension really is actually a turning to, to Sheffield. We've been saying it for months, haven't we? It's a tension turning to Sheffield, but it really genuinely is now. Uh, and there'll be a lot of bets placed on him, I imagine. Yeah, very much so. No, it, it's a it's it's a fair gloss you put on it there actually, and I, Colin did snatch at a few towards that the end there, and he did sort of maybe miss a couple he hadn't missed before, but that happens when the other guy smells victory, and I mean I'm not going to I don't think worth analysing an enormous amount about Colin not getting over the line when he's this close, but I suppose sort of. Critics of his, you know, specifically may say, well, another example of, you know, maybe not quite having that killer instinct, but it's an overall, I have to say, you know, excellent effort to get to the final and play such good snooker. Because I don't think a week ago we really thought Kyron Wilson, I mean, they're all front runners in a way, and it's an eight man tournament, the best players this season, but Kyron wasn't the person in my head that were necessarily really, really threatened to win this, you know, uh, but um, obviously he revealed, you know, that he's been having, you know, some sad times, him and his family, you know, away from the table. And that, you know, frankly, explained quite a lot with how he has gone off the boil, perhaps, you know, on the table in, in sort of recent uh, weeks, recent times. But, you know, he just played so well. I mean, for a runner up, I mean, he... <laughs> You know, so many players have won tournaments before, not reached the levels he reached. Kyron, I mean, we'll come to it, of course, but I mean, the the, the standard he reached in this in the semi, for example, you know, six centuries to against Dingjun Weed, so nearly got that record equal in seventh. The way he sort of blasted off into a four 0 lead today, in a way, I come back to credit to Murphy actually, and obviously Murphy came back from you know a big deficit in a previous match. Some guys would have been a bit blown away, full stop, by what Kyron did there, wouldn't they? And I think they would have been like so shell shocked. They almost may not have recovered, you know, all day. But intervals, Phil. Intervals yeah. change matches. Kyron would just have wanted to go on and on. Then wouldn't he? He didn't want to stop. But there we no, are. Yeah. How often do they change momentum? It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, all the time. Yeah, it's crazy the amount of times you'd, you'd a player would do anything to push it back a frame or two and just carry on playing. Um, and I suppose, yeah, I mean, as you say, he was so good at, at, for a lot of times in this tournament, I suppose, saying he got weaker at the end or something. Um, it was always going to happen because he was playing at such a level that, uh, you know, is not keep upable, if that's the word, which it isn't. But, you know, he was potting into sort of 97% pot success rate um, for those opening frames. So, yeah, he was always going to drop off a bit. Um, so that's fair enough. Um I was like, I had a look at his record in finals. That takes it to uh, 13 ranking finals, five wins, seven losses. So I don't know if that's, I don't know what would be where you, obviously you'd want a better one than that, but I don't know if that's notably bad. Uh, there's people who've got worse records in finals than that, for sure, but there's people who've got better ones. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's sort of too much of a trend. You know, it's not sort of, you know, 
Jack Wasowski off the top of the head. Six Norton six is his record, isn't it? So it's not it's not like that. But yeah, you'd probably be a little bit concerned, you know, at four 0 up, obviously he would have been a hot favourite. But there we go. It's still an excellent tournament, like you said. I think when we were looking at the, the games at the start of the week, Ali Carter, we may have both said that we thought Ali Carter might have yeah. beaten him in the first round, and uh, and Kyron won that comfortably, beat him comfortably, and put a very good fight up in the final. So yeah, it's still a very good week for him. Very much so. Five and seven is twelve, though, Phil. He, 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 even even our most, you know, and they've they've it's, they've put the world championship on its own. So yeah, it's five and eight. Five and eight. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's very pedantic. You, 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 I, you know, no complaints if you get a cheeky one back on me for that. But listen, Phil, what can I say to that apart from? People will say, you know, again, if they're being hypercritical, he's lost the very biggest ones, hasn't he? The very, very top one. Okay, so a lot of players in their first Masters final, their first World final, their first Tour Championship final. But listen, it's another step in the right direction. He's such such a good player. And you would have thought a big one is around the corner. But the story is mostly about the winner. And that's the nature of sport and how it should be. And Sean Murphy... Will rightly be be celebrating, and uh, well, maybe we'll go through, shall we, and look at some of the sort of matches that we saw uh, throughout the week. And we kicked off with uh, Ding Jun Wee beating Mark Allen ten five. You're right about the Ali Carter one; that was a surprise to me. I don't think Ding was a big surprise though uh, to me, to be honest, because uh, Mark Allen has gone off the boil, hasn't he? And mm. I think you know Ding played well. He he took advantage of that. You know he he's a big sort of stage character and I think he ended up being a good winner but then if we talk about maybe the two together Brian Wilson 10 Ali Carter 4 you know was was a surprise I think some of the reasons I've out, outlined I think Kyron was you know at his peak level by any means in, in, in recent times Ali Carter has been one of the players of, of, the, of the calendar year so far you'd have to say Sean Murphy would be that now wouldn't he Phil but mm-hmm. Ali would be in that Brackets sort of beneath, also having a great calendar year so far. But there we are. You know, when, when you come to the top eight players in the season, you shouldn't be that surprised with any of them, any of them turn it on. And uh, in the end, Ding and Kyron were pretty good winners in those first two days. They were, yeah. Yeah. Um, Kyron looked good. I think he knocked in a big turn in the second frame against Ali. And uh, yeah, Carter didn't, didn't play well. Uh, he said so himself. Um, he said, um, we'll, we're going to get on this, this at some point, so I guess it's as good time as any now. But I think Carter was sort of uh, suggesting that he felt flat, he played flat, but he was also talking about the atmosphere in the place as well. In those early days, the crowds were pretty thin, um, not the kind of attendance and the resultant atmosphere that you'd expect from a tournament like the Tour Championship. It obviously picked up and was great by the weekend, but yeah, there's no getting away from the fact the first two or three days were not the best, and Ali was uh, one of the people who said that. And, you know, obviously you're more likely to say it when you lose, but Sean actually said it after his first-round match as well, even though he won, he said it was quite flat out there. Um, but, yeah, but there was two good performances, those from Kyron and Ding. And Ding's an interesting one going to Sheffield as well, isn't he? He's, he's so unpredictable, but uh, he did look very good in that win over Mark Allen, for sure. Yeah. It would not be the most surprising thing in the world by a million miles in snooker terms if Tim went all the way in Sheffield. He's that type. He really is. He's an in, 
he's an inspirational character and he, he's a player that can just catch fire for a week or two. And uh, of course, Ding fans the world over will be hoping that comes when we head to Crucible uh, very soon indeed. Um, yes, uh, the crowds were not good. It did not look good, I'm afraid, for a few days there. It was un- it was un- unavoidable, I think, that it became such a big topic. You know, I think a few of us were maybe a little bit reticent at first, a bit refraining, or oh, it'll pick up, but just sort of didn't, did it, for those opening days. And it's smashing arena there, but when it was that empty, it just it just didn't didn't look befitting of what has become such a brilliant tournament. But of course, tournament of two well, maybe not two halves, but a, a tournament of two thirds and one third, Bill, maybe. And the final <laughs> the final third was very good. But actually it was almost a bit bittersweet. Like this is what it should have been like maybe a week. There are loads of reasons. We have asked for your views, and we've got some of those. Perhaps we'll turn to those after we've reviewed the matches and see what you think. You know, it's... I, I joked a few weeks ago, Phil, I think over the O'Sullivan and Dawson matter, that I should just grab a megaphone and shake it and shout it's nuanced straight at you, and that's about it. There are so many variable reasons, and I don't say your guess is as good as mine. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to quantify the number one reason, the ones that come to mind are the general state of the economy, the lack of spare cash people have at the moment. For any kind of entertainment, this is not a snooker problem or a sport problem. It's a theatre problem. It's a cinema problem. It's a concert problem. It's throughout the entertainment business. Uh, ge- geography could be a factor. I mean, you know, I put that, that if you saw my... Twitter, and I didn't really say it critically, it was just a, a sort of statement to look at a map and say how close that maybe the three biggest ranking tournaments are. Mm. That's okay, but Hull is so close to Sheffield with the greatest one in the world. What is it, about 50 miles, 60 miles away? Maybe people in that part of the world are, you know, keeping their power drive for Sheffield type thing. Then there's a promotion issue. You know, I think we can just see from social media that, you know, other events have definitely been uh, promoted more. Uh, I know from people that have been out and about uh, around the sort of East Yorkshire area, there's not been any enormous promotion in recent weeks. That's obviously a factor as well. And names. That's a bit of a thorny one, the names, actually, because I do agree, and I think we might have a couple coming up. These are still excellent names, actually. We've got Mark Allen in it, got Sean Murphy, Mark Selby. These are the best players in the last 15, 20 years in the game. But it's a real bad luck, isn't it, that, that you've got no Ronnie, no Higgins, no Williams, no Robertson, no Trump. I mean, you're a betting man more than I feel. I mean, the odds on that would have been virtually astronomical, wouldn't they, for those five to all not make it? I mean, it's quite startling. That has to be a factor. Not just Ronnie, but all those. They are huge attractions. And I feel that the sport... It's one of those things, was unlucky that they all missed it. That, that, yeah. that would be the main reasons. There's plenty. I'm sure you want to have your say as well. And But it picked up. It picked up throughout the week, no question. Uh, ticket prices has, has been has been named as well. I mean, I looked at, they were probably a bit too much, actually. I, I, I was surprised when I looked at them, because a lot of people were saying that. I thought they'd be, I'd find them, you know, really, really bad. And I don't think I did. I found them a bit too much, but not too 
you know, not too drastic. I mean, what I would say is it reminded me of the autumn, an event I went to, the mixed doubles, I think they were £30, and that really was too much for a sort of a new event. This was a, a bit less than that, I think, for some sessions. And, you know, it probably is a bit too much, frankly, and maybe particularly looking at that region, you know, some of the, you know, the the issues that, you know, all parts of the country are suffering at the moment, particularly we know, you know, places like Carl, it's a tough, tough time in those sort of working class cities, frankly. It's a tough time. So maybe that can be looked at as well. But it was a shame. But but you're right, to turn it into a positive, it ended brilliantly. And just doesn't it just show, even when you're watching from afar, those scenes, when it's busy, the arena, it just makes it look more important and more special. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's a real bad look on, on telly when... Uh... They're just endless, seemingly endless empty seats and what should be a big event. You know, we get used to, you know, no one expects big crowds at qualifiers or even early rounds of the the big one to eight events. Uh, but yeah, to have so many empty seats was a really bad uh, look. And especially with what's going on in the sport at the minute, you know, the amount of people that were saying, oh, look, Ronnie's right because uh about the state of the game because of the uh, no one's there and you know and no one's going to go and see anything if Ronnie's not there which yeah I agree it's not true um you know that wasn't you know that didn't help obviously but I don't think that was the issue um and yeah I guess I mean ticket prices is what came down to it for me basically because that's just basic economics isn't it it's um you know, you need to get your supply and demand chart out, don't you? And get the get the, get it at the right spot, which they didn't seem to. But um, yeah, all those reasons are right. I think covered them all. Um, but yeah, the arena is good. Um, there's, there's no problem with the venue. It's, it's a pretty good one, I think. Um, but yeah, maybe it's the time of year, as you say. Um, it shouldn't be so close to the Crucible, perhaps in that location. Um, but yeah, it was disappointing and when you've got the players actually speaking out after their games about how poor the atmosphere is, uh, that's not good, is it, in an eight-man event? Um, so, yeah, hopefully that can be improved next time. Because I think I saw you tweet that whole, it's, it's definitely good enough to have a tournament. It just needs to be done better. And I think I agree with that. Yeah, and it's not necessarily my original idea that. I mean, I saw Jason Francis, of course, heavily involved in, in putting the seniors event there. And yeah, I know he did put on some really, really, you know, impressive promotion there for that. He was, I think, used the words like, don't give up on Hull. Well, not just him, a few said it. Uh, and I tend to agree with that, actually, because you looked at it, and I thought this before the last couple of days, but having seen it the last couple of days, I really think it, you know, Hull's a significant um, city in this country, you know, that, and I think, <laughs> to be honest, I really do sort of believe that it's a bit close to Sheffield when you consider how close it is geographically. It, it, it's close in both geography and time. And I think maybe an earlier event of the season would, would fit it well. My instincts, to, you know, would be the Tour Championship and Clan did know seemed like a bit of a match made in heaven to me. I know they had this idea where it's not quite befitting if it's not quite big enough. Well, it looked great. <laughs> so my instincts would be move it back there. Clan did deserves an event. I want the Welsh back in South Wales. I've, I've always said that from the moment it was moved. That, and, and give Hull an earlier event, but easy to say from the armchair, there could well be many contractual financial reasons why there's not that's not possible. We have had some tournament news, by the way, haven't we, Phil, about um, next season? And uh, annoyingly, I had just deleted the information, but I think it's in my head that the British Open's going to Cheltenham, correct me if I'm wrong, then we have 
in the new year, the World Grand Prix in Leicester and the Players' Championship in Telford. Now, if you end up in the wrong venues next season, they will nick Metcalf on talking snooker, said it, and you end up in a totally empty arena banging on the door, where's the bloody snooker? Then, you know, it's my fault. I think that's yeah, right. I've got it here, yeah. British, British Open at Cheltenham, World Grand Prix at Leicester, Players' Championship at Telford, yeah. Yeah, and a return to Telford. I don't know when we were last there, but that used to be the UK Championship for a bit, wasn't it? It was. It was. I think it was the most successful years of the UK, actually. Although I think that's probably true of most venues. Although, actually, some, some, of, some of them are pretty good. But York's been the best of the post-Preston venues, I think, and it's really found a home there now. But, uh, but yes, so that's tournament news um, for next season. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think because Hull's not been great this time, that should be it. For the venue, I, I, you know, I don't think that's right. I think they should try and give it another go, but that, that's just my view. And um, it ended brilliantly, as we should say, you know, in terms of matches, it, it just got better and better. It was the flattest tour championship so far for a lot of the week, and the worst edition, actually, if we can use that. It was the worst edition so far, but that's in my view. But it's been a brilliantly high bar that it's set in fairness. So you know, say, saying it's the worst isn't that much of an insult, frankly, because. The others have been generally so brilliant. On to Wednesday then, Sean Murphy, 10, Robert Milkins, 8. Classic example of the last frame of a session being so important there. Murphy was 5-1 down. Could have been 6-2 to Milkins. Murphy got it to 5-3. And I thought 6-2, Milkins would probably have won. I'd go as far as that. I think Sean himself sort of said that, basically. But um, at 5-3, you know, he played really well at night, night to win that, Murphy. And then, well, Mark Selby, 10, Ryan Day, uh, 7, Phil. But good performance from Selby. He, he got himself through to the next stage. But it was Day making most of the headlines, wasn't it? He made a one four seven, and also a a 16 red clearance. I mean, that you know, it's one three nine sixteen 16 red clearance. They're, they're about as, as regular as Halley's Comet, Phil. Yeah. yeah, well, they've never happened in the same match before. That was a bit of history as well, and yeah. Uh, amazing. That one four seven was the third frame, and he'd scored one one point each in the first two frames. So uh, it took no warming up for that one. Uh, it was amazing. And uh, the sixteen red, you just don't see them do. They're very very rare indeed. So uh, that showed how well Mark Selby was playing to get the better of Ryan Day when he he was knocking breaks like that. Although that was a weird one. I mean, that was sort of that was a very Ryan Day match, capable of doing things that few other people can do, but then also capable of playing some really bad shots. Like um, he was, there was a few shots in that where just sort of safety shots going back to bulk and just butchering things. But yeah. And then knock into an amazing breaks like that. So frustrating player sometimes if you, if uh, you wanted Ryan Day to win, um, but yeah, good stuff for Selby. Uh, he was pretty solid throughout deserving winner. Um and continuing his sort of return to form. Yes, definitely very much so. And move on to the semi-finals then. And in their own way, two tr- terrific watches. And the standard in the Wilson, Dinger and Wee, heavens above, you know, Cairo making six centuries, so nearly got the record equaling seventh. He, he was, just checking it, it was 87. I remember it now. He had a Quite a lot. He had two awkward reds left, but he could have done it with only one of the awkward reds. He just needed to get on it from the pink. 
but maybe thinking too much about position. And also, it wasn't the wasn't the gimme pink by any means. He missed it. He was three balls away. Pink, red, pink would have got in there. But um, unfortunately, you know, he, he just missed out on the seventh. But six, and also some, you know, that 87. But there were other ones as well that were sort of 70s, 80s. The standard was marvellous. Ding himself had four or five breaks, I think, over 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 50. I mean, just a, a, a compelling standard. Phil, and you just, you know, I have to say, when Kyron, again, like most of them, but when he hits, hits those top peaks, you know, no one can live with him, really. It was one of those days. He was just exceptional. He said it wasn't the best he's ever played, actually, but it must have been close, goodness. And then Sean Murphy, 10, Mark Selby, 9. Well, I didn't really watch much of the afternoon of that, I have to say, uh, other business, but I watched pretty much every ball on Saturday night, and what drama. I thought Phil Yates really nailed it in commentary. Murphy went 9-6 up. And Phil was sort of saying, and I think quite rightly, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit, in a good way for Selby, in that he was saying almost the whole arena kind of half expected, if not more than half expected, Selby to come back there. And mm. if the energy's all like that, then Selby's going to sort of believe it. He's told her often enough, you're the master of bootmanship. No one's better at coming from behind. You'll never know when you're beaten. And of course, maybe even more crucially, it gets in the head of the opponent, in this case, Sean. But Adam McManus said it, no miss snooker. From 9-6 to 9-9, he didn't miss, to my memory and knowledge, my memory, he, he didn't miss a ball in live play from 9-6 to 9-9. In that sense, it was classic Selby. But I was saying to you off air, Snooker's endless easy from the arm and share, we know that. But I thought it was a bit of a funny, unselby-like move at the start of the last frame. He turned down a, pit, a black, thin black, which I think I'd like to see him take on. Devilishly difficult, but a lot one of those that a lot of pros will get in. But then took a really kind of risky red. But the cue ball was horrible, right near the, the black cushion. And the, the red wasn't by any means right over the pocket. It was a fair way away, the green pocket. He went for it, missed it, left Murphy right in. But... To give Sean credit, he really nailed that that last frame and kept his nerve really, really well, really, really well to when it was a 59 that was decisive and he he, he won it 10-9. We, we see that pattern quite a lot, a guy coming back, 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 but then the one that's had the comeback inflicted on the wind of the cider. But yeah, two, 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 two cracking watches in their own way and uh, obviously set us up with a marvellous final. Yeah, a couple of brilliant semi-finals. I think that sort of... Um... Saved the tournament really after some low key uh, uh, first rounders quarterfinals, but yeah, the semifinals were excellent. I thought, uh, obviously, I think most people prefer the 10 9 the, the going all the way to the cider. But if you're gonna have a one sided one, um, have it because the guy's making this insane amount of huge breaks, you know, he can't, uh, you can't do much about that. As uh, Ding didn't do loads wrong, but um, yeah, no one could live with that. He didn't score a point for the first four frames. Uh, which is quite mad. Um, but yeah, I think Ding's form's been quite impressive in general. But yeah, Kyron, he's, there was this whole thing about his earlier in his career, his cue ball being sort of his weakness. And he was certainly getting some criticism for that. And then he went and sharpened that up and started just knocking in huge amount of centuries. And he was in that kind of form there. So yeah, fantastic. And then Selby and Murphy looked and promised to be something of a classic. Um I don't know if it was quite in classic territory, but it was very, very good. Got a lot of snooker for our money there, didn't we? And yeah, that was very impressive from Mark to go to win three on the spin to force the decider. Um, and yeah, I think we're both of the mind that um, even though he did lost in the semis, 
Selby is looking very much like a threat for the Crucible again. Top of many lists for the Crucible again, I'd say, and probably pound for pound top of mind now. I think what you said, you nailed it in that piece you wrote, the evidence you offered, and I've all, you know, I've always felt in you know my bones really, and I think most people do. It's never the best idea to win the world, if you're going to win the world championship to win the one before. But listen, Sean Murphy's not going to care tonight. He's just won the yeah. championship. It's a, it's, it's a funny one, and he may well win the Crucible. Sean, you know, he could go on a roll and win that as well, no, no question. But um, but yeah, it almost had it to me. Mark losing that decider, I think, sort of emphasised it even more in my head. That thing about one or two good performances of the tour. Um, we got an email of me later if we got time talking about the evidence of these kind of things about you know tournaments and where they're placed and how you can. You maybe have more hopes of winning one if you don't win another type thing. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, he's, he's going to have every chance. I mean, it's, it, it take your money, you know, pay some money, you take your choice for really. There's so many players that can win it. But Selby and Murphy will be going around most heads, won't they now? Really, Sean playing such an exceptional snooker, Mark being Mark. Now, I always think, well, I just finished writing my Ronnie O'Sullivan piece for the World Programme. And I was saying in that, would you back Ronnie to win the title? based on this season's form, certainly not. Would you back him on his sheer brilliance, experience and inspiration? You certainly would. And I think that that's... He's got half in place. He's Ronnie O'Sullivan. But the way I look at it, Mark's got both in place. He's Mark yeah. Selby and he's in form. That That is a bloody good combination. Mark Selby with, with no form. He, he, I think he, one of those he won, he didn't have much form. Mark Selby with no form is a threat. Mark, Mark Selby with form... Is one for all his rivals to fear, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's those two really that are the ones you have to consider. You know, they've won eight of the last eleven between them. I think that's right. Um, it's remarkable. Um, so yeah, whichever one of those is looking in form, then then great. But yeah, like you say, it's really hard to pick. It's usually not the person who's won the tournament or two before the worlds. So then you really are just sort of guessing outside of those guys because. Um, you're not going on loads, you know. I, I was of the mind um, in the past few weeks that because Mark Allen had sort of dropped off the form, but but his form had been so good before, and he's had a little dip that would be timed nicely to return to form for Sheffield. But his dip has been so pronounced that I've sort of been put off that theory quite a lot because um, he doesn't look anywhere like the player he did uh, a few months ago. And obviously, you know, that was part of the theory. They're supposed to have a dip. But this is where it gets difficult, isn't it? You wanna you wanna be backing their players in form. And when you're deciding not to back those players in form, you're just guessing. But yeah, um Selby, um, I don't know. I've not seen any updated odds or anything. I know Ronnie was the favourite with the bookmakers, he probably still is, but Selby ain't gonna be far behind him now. No, I have to look at those myself in the days to come. It'll certainly be very interesting to see if there's any potential value, um, but yeah, fascinating uh, world championship to come. But uh, right now we are uh, first and foremost reflecting on the, the tour championship. Should we then turn to the comments about Crowdsville? We, mm-hmm. we take you to those semi-finals, And of course we mentioned uh, in, in some detail, the final earlier one by uh, Sean Murphy, nine, seven against Kyron Wilson, despite being four nil down. So that's two comebacks, two really good comebacks from Murphy again, the beauty of multi-session matches, while we love them so much. And it's funny, I always think we've known multi-session matches all our lives, but 
maybe it's the way the human mind works because we don't see them much in the season apart from finals. And it's different when they're just finals. You, I think you need them to be in all the, the, mm. the matches to really count. Even though we watch them all our lives, there's such a gap between them in seasons. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. You still forget things. Oh, God, yeah, there are loads of twists and turns, aren't they? They are there. There is incredible nuance. The last frame of the session is amazingly crucial. And all these things come back and you think that, for most of us, I think is still the essence and glory of, of snooker, isn't it? In the same way that test matches is the essence and glory for most people in cricket, eh? <laughs> yeah. And I think you've just got to be reminded all the time. You know, we shouldn't have to be reminded that, yeah, what seems like big leads, I guess we're used to thinking 4-0 is a huge lead when we're watching a lot of shorter format uh, events. But, yeah, it doesn't mean a huge amount, really, does it? I mean, I mean it means what it means, but it's certainly not game over by any by any stretch. But, uh, yeah, it's easy to forget that when you're watching a lot of best of sevens, best of nines. Obviously, it is game over in best of seven. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, th I always find with the Tour Championship, this is a perfect build into the world because everyone does come away from the Tour Championship thinking, yes, long format is great. We really enjoyed that. Oh, look what we've got now. Loads and loads of it. So that's all good stuff. <laughs> yeah. You're getting a nice way of saying it there. Well deserved. Right, on, on with this correspondence on crowds. Lots of tweets, but one email first from Martin McDonald. Good to hear from you, Martin. Hi, Nick and Phil. You've been asking about crowds at the Tour Championship. For me, it is definitely down to lack of promotion, something I've been complaining about for around a decade when it comes to the Scottish Open. We can't blame the lineup, in my opinion, as all eight players have earned their place fair and square. When snooker is on BBC Two, it gets eyes on it. The three so-called majors aren't BBC events by accident. I'm not a fan of the way the Beeb handles snooker, but a huge percentage of the UK still seem to think there are only four or five channels, so it's a no-brainer that snooker gets eyeballs. It's the same players in every event, barring these one-year list events. So why are people paying top dollars to attend BBC events but fail to support, for example, Home Nations events for a tenner a day? For me, the simple fact is people don't know it is happening. A great example is when the Scottish Open was held at the Emirates in Glasgow, directly across the road from Celtic Park. 60,000 potential customers there attending home matches, including many who may consider themselves to be big John Higgins fans. Yet there was no promotion, no signage outside the Emirates facing the main road and Celtic Park. And nobody I spoke to in the ground knew that the best snooker players in the world were 100 yards away. There were only signs outside the car park entrance of the Emirates Bizarrely visible only to anyone who had already entered the Emirates. I've raised this with WST numerous times in the past and ranted on my old snooker social podcast too. But they just don't want to engage with people who simply have the best interests of the sport at heart. I suggested they engage with the Scottish Government Sports Minister, for example, and try to get positive promotion that way. I never received a, re a reply. Regards, Martin... Well, that's interesting on the Scottish, isn't it? Mm. That there was no promotion at, at Celtic Park. Very interesting. That's that's the first view. Thank you for it, Martin. Thank you for that, Martin. And but uh, you may have your say on that, sir. If not, move on to Dominic Brown. We'll try and rattle through them. Yeah, well, I think just quickly on that. I think that is a thing that's come up a lot, not just this tournament. That local promotion seems next to non-existent. You know, apart from at the World Championship, maybe one or two other examples, but. 
that is lacking. Um, I guess they don't think that, that it's the right way to spend their money and time, but and maybe it's not the answer to every problem, but it seems like a pretty obvious answer to improving things. So, yeah, it would be good to see that uh, improved. Um, and I guess uh, Dave Bandit may have mentioned this, but on the, the Snoop Scene podcast, but move, moving venues all the time, you know, turning up in a new city you've never been before. Um, so there's no sort of plans in place and how to do the local promotion. That doesn't help either. Um, but yeah, so that I think that definitely is an issue. Um, Dominic J. Brown on Twitter. It seems like snooker completely revolves around Yorkshire and Leicester now. Frankly, it's giving off small scale vibes at the moment. Reminds me of how the BDO became utterly reliant on Lakeside. Right on Q snooker blog on Twitter says for avid fans, it is a strong lineup, albeit without a few household names. To the casual fan and people without a strong interest in the game, it's probably unappealing. Location-wise, it may be a bit more difficult to get to than other venues, but Hull is a big city in its own right. John Wilson on Twitter. Lack of the big names has put me off tuning in, which is a major worry for the future when the likes of Ronnie Williams Higgins all depart. While Harry Turnbull on Twitter says tickets are too expensive and it's another event in Yorkshire. Why they never go near Liverpool or Manchester is one of the great mysteries. I agree with that. It is odd, I think. Um, Claire Wright on Twitter, for me, tickets are far too expensive. Combine this with the location and lack of big names, that's your answer. Addy on Twitter says, the names are not a problem. It's insufficient promotion. WST should take a page out of the Snooker Legends book. The way they raised awareness locally for the seniors' events was exemplary, like in Hull, of all places. The locals need to know Snooker is in town if you want crowds. Uh, Lorenzo on Twitter, from people commenting on my post, there seem to be several factors. World Championship coming up, poor promotion, lack of major stars, location and its accessibility. Ticket prices, I hope it doesn't affect the ITV events though. They're brilliant. It shouldn't have, it should just shouldn't have been moved. I'd say on the location, I think the location of the, of the arena is actually very good in town, isn't it, as far as I'm aware. But yeah. Hull, I think he's talking about the location of Hull, which you know, probably isn't the most accessible of big cities. Yeah, I think when people say that they do in this example mean Hull, actually, because, yeah, mm. it's right next to the railway station. It's only a few minutes' walk, and it's, you know, right in the centre of town. But, yeah, no, fair, fair point to clarify that. Paul Barnsley, our old friend on Twitter, says, the location is a major issue, surely. Not only the fact it's being held in relatively inaccessible Hull, but fans in that part of the world have the World Championship in a few weeks on the doorstep. Also, whatever the WST strategy for promoting the event was, it needs to be reviewed. And finally, Matthew Tempest. Constant shopping and changing at venues, locations. Need to build up a brand following and city loyalty and then promote it. I don't really buy the absence of stars. For non-Snook fans, there's only Ronnie. For big Snook fans, that's still a good lineup. I should also add the match-fixing scandal, which now encompasses 11 players. As you said in your podcast, that may be being underplayed while the WST Ronnie spat overplayed. Very damaging to potential punters and sponsors. Well, I had a few people say that I, I must have hit a nerve there. It, it was something that I think, you know, I'm not absolutely fixed in my head about, but it's definitely something that's been crossed in my mind in recent weeks that it seems to be a lot of energy spent on, and I include myself in this, I'm not being pious. I talk about, you know, locations and tournaments and maybe not quite enough angst about the fact that 
you know, 10% of tour or whatever were involved in, in match fixing. But maybe that's because we haven't had a, a verdict yet and it's right to maybe keep, keep the powder dry until that. Maybe people are just fatigued by it all because it's so much bad news. Well, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I do find that one thing is being a bit underplayed and one overplayed at the moment. But listen, that, that that's the way it goes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Manchester and Liverpool as well. Um, the venue for the first year of the English Open... Now that Manchester venue is not right in Manchester. It's it's a bit out. I know exactly where it is. It's it's a, it's quite a bit outside. And there was an issue one day with rain coming in and making a noise. I think it may have stopped play for a while on the roof. But there seemed to be a lot of sort of oh about that and a bit of laughter. But actually, I thought it was would have been right to carry on with that. Now, okay, <laughs> it's given the good people of Barnsley, the good people of Crawley, etc. Milton Keynes in the pandemic. I forget where it was this this time. Leicester, Brentwood. was it? Oh, Brentwood, of course it was, yeah. <laughs> I had to eat some humble pie over that. was quite good, wasn't it? Um, but <laughs> it's given all, all those places an event. That's fair enough as well. But I, I didn't really know why they didn't just persist with Manchester, actually, um, after that first year there, because the northwest of those big cities, of course, Preston used to have a big event, a uh, great event back in, the, back in the day, the UK Championship. Yeah, I, I wonder that. But listen... We have people regularly writing to us saying, why isn't there more Michael Day, our friends, often banging the drum for the South West, especially now we lost the South Wales tournament. I know we have Cheltenham that's not far from that area, but still. But listen, it's not easy, is it, <laughs> to put on tournaments? And I have to say, the other factor is, it's too UK-centric, the sport. There are too many tournaments in England. And however much we will this sport to be massive and we'll promote it and keep trying to build it up, I just not sure it is big enough to sustain this many events and expect them all to be full or even three quarters full. It's it's not realistic. You know, maybe that's a bit negative. I don't know, but there's an awful lot of events in England. We know the reasons. It just looks so much better when there are four or five back in China. Maybe we can get another one or two back in Europe. And I think some of these issues then go away. I think you probably are looking at bigger crowds then. But when you've got, I mean, virtually every event this year, virtually, apart from the Welsh and German, have they all been in, in, in England? I think they have. You know, so it's just, you know, even without the economy being in a terrible state, it's it's a lot to keep asking people to go to events, isn't it? So I think it's just simply that as well. A lot, a lot of tournaments in England. Yeah, I mean, we talk about sort of this, this small catchment area around York and Sheffield, the whole have played, but... In reality, you know, the whole of England is a small country. You know, nothing's that far away um, if you wanted to go to. But we've just got so much um, here, which is great. You know, obviously we're spoiled. But um, if there was, uh, if they were spread further and wider, then you would you'd assume the crowds would be better on the few they'd have left. Because um, yeah, you mentioned those two and the the one car and one at the start of the season that was in Germany as well. But other than that, the ones are just sort of. Slipped off the calendar. We never, without much explanation, you know, Gibraltar was no one's favourite tournament, but that was a nice trip away, wasn't it? Um, Riga Masters was on until recently, just gone. Obviously, we know all about China. Um, Australia, and yeah. Australia, Bingham on his first there. That was good yeah, for yeah. a few years. And they used to, I mean, those the old uh, PTCs, they used to go and travel around all of Europe, and I know they sort of struggled to make money on. They were only small events, but... Um, like we spoke about on here, that exhibition that Ronnie and Mark Allen went to go and play that four and a half thousand people um, sold out in a day, you know, that's Ronnie O'Sullivan in an exhibition. It's, it doesn't necessarily mean it's transferable directly 
but there's obviously appetite for places that um you wouldn't necessarily think about uh so yeah i think that's a, that is a good point the, the more tournaments elsewhere will make the ones that are still in the uk even better i should think absolutely it, it may not mean it is transferable but it it certainly doesn't suggest it isn't transferable <laughs> yeah, yeah getting to get numbers like that we should say of course though again Tour Championship ended on a bright note with a couple of mar- or two or three marvellous matches, big crowds. Thank you to everybody that put the tournament on. Of course, we must say that. Thank you to ITV, who covered the tournament at their normal exemplary fashion. I don't think they'd have been too impressed, by the way, with those scenes earlier on. I don't think it looked great for them, especially, you know, the efforts they've made, you know, along with other people, but the efforts they've made as a, as a broadcaster to really boost these events up. The worst thing was the other two were better, weren't they, in terms of how they looked? Yeah, yeah. This should be the obvious highlight. But anyway... Uh, the usual brilliant effort from them, top voices, top faces. You know, I think there's always a, a great love of snooker. And 10 years they were celebrating, weren't they, of course? Feels a bit more like three or four. Time goes so quickly. I remember that Chinese event when they first came back and can't anyone there at all. Uh, but they really have, you know, been great. Champion the champions, what an event that is now, coming up for a decade old. And, yeah, all those, these these big, the, this series they put on is is, is marvellous. I just saw it in my own head, of course. Mark Selby, a little bit like England games in tournaments, Phil. They can't win them on ITV, or they never used to be able to. He can't win one. Don't ask him about it. He just gets annoyed and says how stupid it is. But oh, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Because it, is, it just sounds stupid, but it's happened so much that it's, it is a thing. Because he never even got to a final, I don't think, has he? Yeah. Remarkable, really, because he must have played in... <laughs> I'm just thinking, of, of course he hasn't, because he wins every final. He? Yeah, true, yeah, yeah. But he must, I've not looked at his sort of hit rate, but he must qualify for near enough every single one. So it's pretty it's pretty remarkable. Um, but obviously, you know, what broadcaster it is shouldn't make any difference. But, uh, yeah, the longer it goes on, he'll still get asked about it, I imagine. <laughs> well, he certainly, yeah, he certainly will at times. Yeah, they talk about it quite a lot on ITV. And elsewhere, indeed, it's a, yeah, it's a very funny thing indeed. Well, the Tour Championship is gone, and that means all roads are leading to... Sheffield, Bill, and we should say this is the Talking Snooker podcast with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf, and we will, of course, be covering the World Championship from start to finish in all its glory, comprehensive coverage to come from us here as ever, and the World Qualifiers, Bill, we'd like to say, become a cliche now almost to say it's a tournament in its own right, but it really is. Again, I was helping out with a, with a student actually the other day, it was talking a little bit about their course and I was talking about how snooker's grown in, in recent times and different events and I was sort of saying I don't know if there's a pressure quite like it in the game to this chap you know um, this young chap I was saying Q school we've said on here that has its own unbelievable sort of intensity but the cloying pressure and just at times nightmare levels of intensity that come from these world qualifiers makes it like nothing else. I mean, it's going to be captivating for us to watch, isn't it, over the, over the coming days. You know, from the start, really, we've got, you know, just some of them that have come out. Stephen Hendry, James Cahill, you know, t- t- tasty for reasons we, <laughs> we, we, we all know about. So, uh, and uh, Ken Doherty, Rianne Evans is one here that I've, that I've written down, of course, I think it's taken a few people's uh, eyes there. Uh, an all-tired clash, Mink Nutrat, Detchawat, Pumjang, and uh, 
Stan Moody was featured in a programme on the BBC we'll talk, must talk about later before we go beyond Andres Petrov. There are a few I scribbled down, but really, I should say, Phil, thank you to you. You have done a brilliant job of putting them all together. Cheeky for me, wasn't it, to announce that I did it, of course. Um, <laughs> people saw through that when it said by Phil Haig at the top. Um, but well done. I was a bit of a... <laughs> you were a broken man after that, weren't you? But it no, was a very boring <laughs> job. <laughs> if you look for the Stuka.org do it very helpfully, and obviously it ends up on Wikipedia eventually, but it's just that... Uh... It's the way World Snooker sort of present draws and formats and you have to look on the two PDFs and sort of cross-reference them. I honestly think it's one of the maddest things they do. You know, it's not the most it's not the most pressing criticism that they get levelled at with, but I think it's so bizarre. Imagine if the Premier League fixtures came out in the summer and what you got one PDF that had all Arsenal's games and then another PDF that had all the dates, but and they just had numbered matches next to them, and you had to look at both of them. That if someone said that, you would say, "Well, that's insane. No one would ever do that." And that's what World Snooker do. Um, so yeah, I don't know why they don't do it in a better way, but yeah, hopefully that was useful to some people. Um, and yeah, the the World Championship qualifier is amazing. I mean, especially with the sort of Graham Dot was actually just talking there, so I was seeing some quotes from him online about just sort of the with the lack of tournaments this year. The World Championship is the biggest earning opportunity. Um, there's always big pressure on sort of a lot of people looking to save their seasons pretty much. Um, and more so now than ever when they're playing sort of five, 10, 15 grand through the qualifiers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's huge for people. Um, so, and people playing for their careers, you know, to keep the tour cards. There'll be people going in knowing they need to get to the crucible to keep, to keep their tour cards. So yeah, there's all sorts of interesting storylines. There's going to be some really interesting matches. One I was hoping to see, um, although, so Ben Mertens is playing Victor Sarkis, the Brazilian, in the first round, but he gets through that, he's playing his best mate, Julian Leclerc, the other young Belgian in the next round, which would be uh, really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, there's plenty of good ones. We won't go through them all, but lots to look forward to. It's going to be really exciting. Well, it really is. And, you know, please do go to, to, to Metro um, and have a look at uh, the very useful guide Phil's put down to all the matches kicking off well very very shortly on Monday here in the UK and uh, going on until the middle of the following week so some you know some cracking action I think it'll be 10 days won't it of, of qualifying action and you know from round to round to round it gets more and more thrilling and then come judgment day those last two days I mean that is just Book your place on the sofa if you're a snooker fan, Phil. Or for those that are going, of course. Another thing I mentioned to this young chap, actually, was generally around ticket prices. Obviously, we know that's a big topic. We've been talking about it with the ones in Hull. And how, when I was growing up, and not even when I was growing up, not even within relatively short memory, even 15 years ago, nearly every event was good value, good value, you'd say. That's not the case now, really. Crucible prices have really gone mad. Some other events have ha have as well. But there are some events that are still really good value. And this is one of them. There are loads of fans that I know, that I know personally, or ones I read on social media, ones I read on forums, they're going to this. And to be clear, many of them are going to this and not the World Championship at the Crucible. Yeah. Because... Well, you'd have to ask them for a myriad of reasons. I suspect some of them would be money. The fact that this is such good value. And I think some people just 
get such a buzz out of the qualifiers. And I can see why they do, because it's just so exciting. You know, who's going to get to the crucible? But, you know, the wider, you know, potential ramifications for, for, for tour places. It's just, yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. And I think it's on Discovery, isn't it? So you can watch it on that service. And so, yeah, loads of drama. And there's just no, just as we like it, there's no rest for us snooker fans at the moment. But we just witnessed all that great drama in Hull over the last week. And straight on with this, it's just going to be, I know it's, I know you, you're probably a snooker man. You love this as well, don't you? It's special, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I love seeing other players that you don't see very often. Um, something different, and uh, yeah, just in great tension. Um, I was looking at Jimmy White. Obviously, we spoke about him, him guarantee, almost guaranteeing he'd get to the Crucible. But I must say, he's got a bit of a stinking draw because he, um, he plays the winner of Marco Fu and Martin O'Donnell, which that's hard enough straight away. And then Nopon would be his next opponent after that. Very hard, and then he'd have another game after that. So. I'm not saying he can't. He's playing very well. If he can beat Judd Trump, um, he can beat any of those guys. Um, but it's a, it's a big ask over a lot of best of 19s, but best of luck to him. Um, I've spoken to a few people that will have pieces coming out in the coming days. I spoke to Alfie Burden. Uh, it's always a pleasure the other day. Um, he's sort of playing. I think he knows he needs to get to the Crucible to keep his tour card. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I went, I went to Victoria's Academy, spoke to Mink. Uh, which is always a pleasure. I spoke to Ashley Hugill there. Um, so, yeah, a few pieces come in, uh, in and around the qualifiers from me. And enjoy them all and keep your thoughts coming to us, please. TalkingSnooker at yahoo.com. Or indeed, you can tweet us at uh, TalkingSnooker, TalkingSnooker at yahoo.com, or tweet us at TalkingSnooker. Great, great drama to come then in Sheffield. And we wanted to do about an hour, Phil, didn't we? we, we neither of us on, on, on the form of our lives tonight, I think it's fair to say, late on this Sunday night in the UK. But should we maybe, you, I think, quite helpfully pinpointed a couple of our other bits of correspondence that were the best. And so maybe we'll try and go through those before we go. Chris Bogon here on email. Thanks for contacting us, Chris. Says, hi, guys. Interesting chat recently. Reform. I'm peaking too early for the World Championship. Do the little basic research, brackets, scrolling through Wikipedia. And it's quite, good, good little gag, and it's quite telling that as far as I can tell, a player winning the last ranking event prior to the World Championship has only gone on to win the big one three times in 40 years. Granted, there were only three ranking events in the 82-83 season. And in that year, Davis did win the Irish Masters just before the World Championship. So it was, but it was a limited field and he only had to win three matches to do so. So the three times are, this is um, what Chris tells us here from the research that he's done. 1993, Stephen Hendry, of course. 1998, John Higgins, when he sensationally took the number one spot of Hendry, well, number one spot, the only way he possibly could by winning both the last two ranking events, well, that was the year he first won the World Championship, Higgins. And 2017, which surprised me, as I'd forgotten he had such a strong end of season only six years ago. Well, it hasn't surprised me. We was, I said it on here a few times lately. It was classic Selby, because I didn't realise it was a lot, as long ago as, as, as the Higgins one, which is virtually two decades. Mm. But it was drummed into me and all of us. I don't, you know, the one before, especially when it became the China, it was almost like a... Yeah, it's going to put, you know, it's going to 
really sort of half ruining your chances in a superstitious way, or even more than that, you know. You'd, but of course, Selby did both. Typical him. <laughs> Chris says, "What chance the winner of the Tour Championship this year will go on to lift the World Championship trophy?" Well, of course, the same chance as any year, but they would join a very small group of players to do so. I haven't got a Scooby, Chris. <laughs> great way to end it. Most of us haven't got a Scooby, Chris. We just rattle on. I hope to get it right occasionally. Um, yeah. What chance? Very good chance because it's Sean Murphy and he's, he's maybe in the best form in the whole in the game at the moment. But um, but yes, in the superstitious terms, in the law of averages terms, in the numbers game terms, it's not ideal to win the one before. And this is sort of evidence of that. Um, sport's so weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, um, I mean, this sport especially is just so hard to maintain form, and Sean's been maintaining it for a while. Um, so. Because it's him, you wouldn't, you can't say, oh well, that's that's really bad because you know he's got such a good crucial record, four finals, uh, obviously won it many years ago now, really, but um, he could easily do it again um, if he plays like he has been doing. But yeah, certainly historically, it doesn't look like a massive thing. But we said it a few times now; it's not like he'll be. Uh, crying over his lovely trophy in Hull this evening, thinking, oh, I wish I'd done this. Um, it's all positives. Um, so it'll, it'll take that mindset in. Um, there were some great sort of fist bumps from him uh, at times during that game. I know when he won that fourth, no, sorry, the eighth frame to uh, go 4-4, it really pumped up and he's going to take that sort of aggressive attitude to Sheffield and he's going to be very hard for anyone to deal with. Um, so, yeah, statistically, bad sign, but you know, if you're Sean Murphy, you got to be delighted with how everything's going. <laughs> Maybe squeeze a couple more in Gary Kelleher, perhaps? Yes, here we go. Um, hello, Phil and Nick. I absolutely love the podcast. Uh, there are so many good snooker pods now, which is great for fans. But Talking Snooker is my favourite, and I think it's down to how warm and welcoming you both are as hosts. You really are a brilliant partnership. Thank you very much, Gary. It's very kind of you. Um, I can't wait for this World Championship. It promises to be one of the most compelling of recent times. I was wondering, with Neil Robertson having, by his standards, such an ordinary season, could this, in a strange way, work in his favour for the Crucible? Because for once, there won't be sky-high expectations for him. Best wishes, Gary. Um, I can see it. Um, he's had a very, very quiet season by his standards. I mean, quiet's quite sort of generous, really. He's been pretty bad, really. Um, but for his standards. Um, but yeah, certainly much less pressure than last year. He was sort of the favourite last year for with many people. Um, and he's had more time to prepare specifically for this, but less sort of competitive matches. So it'll be one of those things, we'll see how he goes and then we'll fit the narrative around it later. But I wouldn't say it's a bad thing, really. We all know how good he is. Um, his quality is not in question. Um and, you know, his, his crucial record in recent years has been so underwhelming. Just doing something different might be worth a go, even if that thing different is losing loads of snooker matches. <laughs> it doesn't sound great, but, you know, it's a different... It's going to be, he's going to be coming into this one different, differently to how he has done in a lot of recent years. So maybe, maybe that's the trick. Yeah, I can't really disagree with any of that. <laughs> he doesn't seem like he's really playing well enough, does he really, actually? on some levels, but then what we've got to remember time and time again, this tournament is a different animal to everything else. 
You know, I've seen it. We've all seen it time and time again. Guys have been brilliant all season and they go to the crucible. They like they can't pot two balls in a row. And yet you get guys that have, you know, been so ordinary in the season, hit no sort of form. They turn up at crucible looking like world beaters. It's such a funny tournament in its own right. I think it. he won't be complaining that he's not being talked about because the last few years he's been on everyone's lips, hasn't he? Mm. People sort of tipping him. He's many people's favourites. That's not really happening. That's certainly not what I'm hearing anyway from anybody. So, you know, I, I think that has to be a good thing um, in many ways for him. Um, but as ever, he'll face the age-old problem, which seems to be that he gets through one or two matches, which is why Joe Perry said so brilliantly when he joined us on here, he thinks he says something like, you're talking rubbish, Neil. Could have been nonsense or well, I think it was rubbish. You're talking mm-hmm. rubbish, Neil. You know, you, you haven't got a problem with the venue because you always play really well in the first one or two matches and win them. But Neil's problem is the first massively top-level player he comes up against, he tends to lose. And uh, was it Lazowski last year? Or am I getting mixed up? Yeah, I mean, that, that was maybe not the best example of that. But, you know, he'll... So maybe he 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 lost one before you'd expect him to lose last time, but he just has a problem in getting to one table, which and the shame for that is obviously a very practical way. If you're in the one table, you're closer to glory. But also for him, he talks about how tight it is. You do sense he come into his own come one table, but anyway, it's uh, part of the vagaries of the tournament. Fascinating, yeah. and uh, I won't be backing against him. But I don't think he'd be, he wouldn't be my favourite, that's for sure. But um, but again, he might, he might like that. <laughs> well, yeah, this is what I was saying before, you know, when uh, we sort of decided in general it's better not to win the tournament before, but then you've got to, then you've got to be guessing on people who aren't in good form, and then it is just guessing. But um, yeah, I mean, he could he could find form in over the first game and then be in, in good nick from there. Um, it's so hard to tell. I mean, I think Sean Murphy was a very good example of one of those players, you said, who turned up with, almost no expectations two years ago. Um, I think he played Mark Davis in the first round and we went through every game on here. And I might have even said Mark Davis, I, I, I could see him beating him, which sounds uh, yeah. very silly now on current form. <laughs> but, but at the time, I don't think it was a mad thing to say. Um, and obviously Sean did win and then he got all those great results all the way to the final and pushed Mark Selby very hard in the final. But, but there had been really very little to suggest that was coming um, before that tournament. So... Yeah, these guys that we know are world class, like proper, proper elite world class, can just find it there. Uh, so we'll see. I think it's interesting, with Neil. I mean, that one table setup uh, theory makes a lot of sense. I probably agree with it, but he said it a few times now. He's just like, oh, if I get to the one table setup, I'll probably I could win it. I'll I'll probably win it. I think I'm putting words in his mouth there, but I think he said he has said things to that effect. You know, he just needs to get to one table, then he'll be fine. But that's quite a weird amount of pressure to put on yourself by getting to the world, having the world championship semis and final ahead of you. If you did get there, um, yeah. it's not. It's certainly not just a stroll in the park for the semis and the final. Um, but he, yeah, he has thought. He does think that that'd be. Uh, he'd be very confident if he got that stage. And yeah, yeah. If Neil Robertson had won three games at the world championship, then rightfully he'd be confident. But it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> what comes to my mind is that thing that. There's absolutely no chance, I would say, of us not saying this at some stage during the World Championship and probably the day when Brian Roy joins us <laughs> in Sheffield. We'll be saying 
that you are effectively only halfway there. Yeah. You've still got to win 35 frames. I, I've, we've heard that from a lot of players over the years. I can't remember who it was on here now that some that someone had told them. And it might have been, actually, it might have been Joe Perry. because He's been in the semi, hasn't he? I thought it might have been Kyron, but could it oh, could have it? been either of them? Right. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. But it, yeah, it might well have been Kyron, actually. But it's almost like, yeah, goodness me, that's 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 quite something. Yeah. We, we should maybe head towards any other business. If it's okay, I just want to do this Francis Gillespie one, which praises sure. the guest of a... Of recent times, Colin Murray. Hi, Nick and Phil. I hope you're both keeping well. Firstly, many thanks for reading both emails I sent previously over recent months. I promise this one will be shorter and relates to Colin Murray. During Colin's time as a presenter of the snooker coverage on Eurosport, I always enjoyed his humour and manner of presenting. By chance, around 2017, when I was walking to a work-related meeting in Dublin City, who should approach me to ask for directions to a hotel in the Dublin Docklands area but Colin Murray? <laughs> Initially, I thought I won't let on I know who he is to see if his personality is the same in person as it is in front of the cameras, etc. It's fair to say I was not disappointed. I gave him the necessary directions and then enjoyed a good chat with him about his work with the snooker team on Eurosport. It is exactly the same in person as he is on camera, just one really good bloke. Yet another hugely enjoyable podcast you had with Colin. I'm very much looking forward to tuning in over the coming weeks with The Crucible getting ever closer. This podcast just keeps on delivering for all snooker fans. Time regards, Francis. He is a very good bloke, Colin. One thing I remember from the, we've had nights out with him, he is, the, I mean, so you should be in life. And um, I know I'm the same. I'm sure you are as well, Phil. He, you know, he, he is exactly the same to everybody, really. You, you know, to who you know, people working behind the bar, people in the pub, us lot that he knows. He's just the same, I say, as you should be in life. But you know, he, he's a real example of that, and you know, he's, he's a he's a smashing guy. Really, we're gonna we're gonna go, Phil. But any other business? First of all, John Virgo is staying with the BBC for the foreseeable future. He's told a new BBC podcast, Snookered, which we will be able to listen to during the forthcoming World Championship. Most snooker fans are happy, Phil. No doubt we played our part in that story, which we're very proud of. That John Virgo told us in the autumn of 2021 that he had, it strongly indicated to him that he would be leaving BBC's snooker coverage at the end of that season. Then it was extended and now he is carrying on. No doubt we played a big part in that. But I think snooker fans are very happy that John Virgo and for, we would guess from the things he was saying, Dennis Taylor as well, look like they're both saying, certainly Virgo, he's a special voice. I say it's pure cadence with him. No one sells a snooker match to the public quite like him. And uh, the unmistakable JV will be our companion for some time to come yet. Yes. Um, it was actually similarly reported through John by what someone at the BBC had told him. So I really do hope that this one was right <laughs> and they've not been telling him things that uh, that didn't turn out to be the case again. But no, they said um, he was told by BBC producer that things will stay as they are for the foreseeable future. And yeah, that very much in implied that it was Dennis as well. So uh, yeah, um, I mean, I posted that story and it seemed to get not 100% positive reaction, but certainly over 80 percent i would say probably over 90 percent. so that's not bad is it <laughs> indeed 
maybe you can have your say on on the very nice program that uh, that's that's we've all most of us have watched now uh, if you haven't it's on the bbc now we're conscious that this is not only a uk operation so i'm hoping it'll appear on youtube most things do tend to it's on the bbc it's called my life taking my shot and it's based on stan moody who of course we know has recently won himself a place on tour i thought of smashing watch what did you make of it yeah very nice wasn't it it was uh just following Stan around at tournaments and practicing and all sorts, actually. So it's working with coaches and mental coach and uh, his lovely relationship with his dad. I thought that was very nice, wasn't it? Just they uh, they seem to get on really well. I've spoken to uh, I spoke to both of them and uh, they're really nice. Um, I thought there was, there was a bit where sort of, because he doesn't go to school very often. He probably doesn't <laughs> go to school at all now. Um, but they just sort of took him out of school. And then they went into the school and he was like sort of explaining about playing snooker. And that was a bit, I almost felt a bit sad then because I don't know, obviously it's great to play snooker, but, you know, it, it, I, I felt a bit sad if he just didn't have any school years because I remember them, I've got quite fond memories of mine, really. I'm still mates with all my mates from school. So um, I hope he didn't miss out on everything to just play snooker all the time. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It was interesting. Shows all the work that goes in, the commitment. And it's hard to imagine he won't uh, have a very good career in it. Yeah, and I thought he came over really well. We'll have to try and get him on here one day, won't we? Very confident. I mean, I was thinking to myself, actually, well, I guess most guys in that position would be, but they're not all, actually. They don't all have quite that level of confidence. Mm. And, yeah, interesting on the school bit. There was something a bit funny about that, actually, wasn't there? But I thought generally he only had eyes to snooker when that came over. You, you saw his room, didn't he? So I'll just sleep here. He <laughs> almost sounded like a much older person, didn't he? The way he sort of operated in that, I think. And yeah, I just, you know, I've got no games or whatever, you know, PS4, whatever, no, I'm not into any of that stuff, but people are into and no telly. I just know I sleep here. And then, but <laughs> the dad was lovely. And I thought, do you know what I thought it said? Quite, quite moving, actually, I thought. I thought it said a lot about family commitment and sacrifice. I thought there was a lot of sacrifice. There was a tremendous amount of love from his dad in that, I thought. Just mm. and the way they were together was lovely, actually. I thought that was absolutely lovely. And I, and I really recommend that programme. It was a real insight into lots of driving around to events, for, wasn't there? Wasn't <laughs> You know, it, 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 Quite good in, in terms of shots, you know, it wasn't just the excitement of competition. Also, what are all his mates doing in Australia? That's one thing that I couldn't work out. Yeah. They've got a bit of money, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even clock that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really with the dad stuff. I think that's that's quite a snooker thing, isn't it? Like, I know Judd Trump's dad was obviously massively influential on his careers, um, and it just seemed to often be sort of a parent, a figure has uh, got you into the game and been very big in. Uh, I suppose that's other sports as well, but obviously now about snooker, it happens a lot, doesn't it? It does. Historically, Steve Davis comes to mind. His dad was absolutely massive for him. And yeah, very And sometimes they don't have, for various reasons, nuanced reasons and sad reasons, parental figure. Someone else will take that role and almost become mm. a parental type. But yes, you, you do tend to see that a lot. And I thought that came over very well. So that programme's on the iPlayer here in the UK from the BBC. I say, hope it appears elsewhere. It's um, about a young player who has a, a big future, all being well. Uh, Stan Moody, the program's called My Life, Taking My Shot. Phil, it's all about Sheffield. I'm throwing my arms wide. There is nothing like it. 
17 magical days and nights of the crucible to come first the qualifiers and we will return next week to talk about them with richard mann our friend from sporting life we'll have another episode in partnership with sporting life when we look back at the qualifiers and look ahead to well we'll know the first round draw by then goodness me the draw will we'll know who's playing who at the crucible it's so exciting now isn't it, it Everything's happening in that great, great city of yours that you're lucky enough to live in. And we just can't wait. The, the next month is just so sumptuous. Hull was a lovely warm-up, but now it's just, you know, it's just... It's snooker nirvana, isn't it, right now? It is, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy, the, the qualifiers that we get to watch, a huge amount of them now. And, uh, yeah, that's longer than most tournaments through the season. And then you get to the end of that, and then it's just starting. Um, so yeah, but that is by no means a complaint. It's great. So yeah, a lot to look forward to. Yeah, we did a bit more than an hour, didn't we? But not to worry. About an hour and ten, I think. Not too bad. We we enjoyed ourselves. Great to see you. You've been great company as ever. Ha have a very nice week. Enjoy the qualifiers. I know you'll have loads of information. Phil Haig on Twitter is always always a brilliant mind full of information uh, during all events, but particularly events like this. For snooker.org, we'll have all, all the latest scores for you. Well, snooker to our website. Action Live on Discovery Live. And I think there'll be other ways to watch Judgment Day beyond that as well coming up. So do enjoy it. Keep your thoughts coming to us, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. See you next time, sir. Pleasure as always. Nice to see it. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Congratulations to Sean Murphy, the winner of the Tour Championship. Enjoy the world qualifying. The next month really is going to be absolutely wonderful for snooker fans the world over. For now, from Talking Snooker, from Phil and myself, Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.